let's begin with a news conference by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau this morning. And here are some details on what we're expecting. After winning the election, Prime Minister Trudeau said one of his top priorities would be this. We're going to ensure uh, that the federal public service is vaccinated. There is a clear, clear requirement of vaccination for anyone who works for the federal government. The directive will be for more than just full-time employees and is expected to extend to those who are casual, part-time, and even students. That's not all. Even those working from home may be expected to adhere to the vaccine mandate. According to the Globe and Mail, there would be consequences for federal public servants who aren't fully vaccinated against COVID-19 and don't have an exemption. They'd be placed on unpaid leave. Trudeau is also set to move ahead today with plans to require travelers to be fully vaccinated before hopping on a plane, train or cruise ship in Canada. The policy could go into effect by the end of the month. Sandy Salerno, Global News. All right, so this would affect a lot of people. And Nicole Smith is joining us now on the phone, labor and employment lawyer at Pitt Plato Law. Nicole, good morning. Hi, good morning, Hal. Hi, let's talk about this. Um, and I guess, uh, uh, first of all, your thoughts on what we're about to hear today, what I just played. And then I want to get into what this might mean for other people working at other companies, private companies. But comment on the announcement that we're expecting today. Yeah, I'm very excited for this announcement because um, we really don't know many of the details that are to come. Nothing's been released to the public. I understand that the unions have been uh, communicating with the government on this, but uh, as far as the public, we don't really have much knowledge about what's going to happen um, or what the details of this policy will be. Um, of course, the interesting part about this policy or what we know about it so far is that it will also apply to employees working from home, so working remotely. And that's a pretty bold approach to be taken by the government because we really don't know how the Canadian Human Rights Commission will, will weigh in on that aspect. Yeah, we'll see if there's a testing option. What we just heard in that report from one of our global news reporters, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a testing option. Either you're vaccinated or you're out. That's right, and that's an option that many employers, I can tell you, have decided to take. They don't want to deal with the testing option, including my own uh, firm, and we've decided that vaccination is going to be mandatory and there'll be no testing, and that's... I guess, to probably avoid some of the headaches that are uh, involved logistically there. But um, that's uh, certainly an option for for employers to decide. Mm -hmm. And the cost involved as well, right? Who pays for it? Yeah, there's there's obviously, uh, you know, potential complications there. Nicole, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking to uh, experts like you, labor lawyers, employment lawyers, it wasn't that long ago when we never thought we would reach this point, and yet here we are. Yes, absolutely. That's certainly the case. We're in a whole different world these days, and that's what's interesting in my area of employment law because, to be honest, the, the case law that we use normally to guide us in making and helping employers make decisions is, is based on an entirely different set of circumstances. And so there's not a whole lot of case law out there that, provides guidance of what a human rights commission will do um, or the courts will do and so employers are having to make that decision um, without that particular guidance in these circumstances well you mentioned case law and precedents uh, that that's what i want to ask you if the federal government does this 
Um, does it not clear the way for other governments, maybe that have been holding out, holding back on something like this, or even private industry, even private companies that say, well, now a government has done it, the federal government has done it, we feel better about doing it ourselves if it ever ends up in front of a judge? Yeah, absolutely. It certainly provides further support for any private uh, employers who choose to to go down this road. Um, it's of course doesn't mean that uh, taking this decision is risk free, but it certainly shows that the the federal government, who would have considered the consequences and the potential potential legal liability involved here, is has decided to take this step, and therefore certainly would support. Um, an employer's decision in the private sector to do the same. Any other thoughts before I let you go, Nicole? Anything I'm missing on this? Um, the only thing I would add is that um, this, as of right now, this policy applies to the federal civil service um, and not all federally regulated areas. It, they have mentioned that the government will require federally regulated employees in the air, rail, and marine transportation industries, but that doesn't mean that it applies to all federally regulated employers, um, and, it, and it, as of right now, does not Im- apply to any provincially regulated, which is really the majority of the workforce in Canada. So I think what this move will do is it's really um, a push to encourage both provincial governments and provincially regulated employers to take this same step. Mm-hmm. I do have one more question for you. Any advice to an employer listening right now? Let's, let's talk small business, right? Maybe they've got five or, or ten employees. Any advice for that company uh, when it comes to uh, employees being vaccinated? What would be your best advice? You know, it really depends on their personal company, their their, their employees, their workforce, and their industry, because um, uh, there's no doubt that certain industries already have a hard time finding employees and this could taking this step could potentially make it even more difficult so that's something to consider but that being said um, the an employer um, has the the right to keep its work safe workplace safe and actually has that obligation and so that's another thing that um, all employers should consider because the other side of this is the an employer has the obligation to ensure a, work, a safe workplace and um, an assessment of the risk of, of transmission of COVID-19 certainly would be involved there. Yeah, really good point. Nicole, thanks for your time this morning. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Nicole Smith is a labor and employment lawyer at Pitt Blado Law. So we await Justin Trudeau's news conference and full details, but that is what we expect to happen today. Uh, let's bring in Bruce Owen, spokesperson at Manitoba Hydro. Bruce, good morning. Hey, good morning, Hal. How are you? Excellent. Thanks a lot for uh, jumping on here for a couple of minutes. We've got a damaged natural gas pipeline in Westman. Tell us about this. Well, it, uh, we first thought we were, uh, our folks were in a virtual training exercise yesterday afternoon when one of them mentioned that they noticed a, an issue uh, on the uh, Manel pipeline which is in uh, near Russell, uh, Macaulay area. And uh, all of a sudden, that virtual training exercise went into the real thing. Wow, isn't that something? Uh, uh, so it, it was leaking? Like, uh, Tell us the, what conditions were found. 
it was a, 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 a farmer in the area was just uh, doing some uh, a ditching uh, on land along the right away, and uh, it inadvertently punctured uh, the pipeline, uh, causing the leak. Nobody was injured. Um, and we've currently got. Uh, staff on scene and more staff on the way and materials on the way to begin repairs uh, as soon as possible. Gas was uh, vented uh, into the atmosphere. Um, Again, it's in a a rural area. Uh, There was no risk to the public. Any idea how long the repairs might take? Um, You know, we're blessed, I think, with your weather report uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We're blessed with uh, the summer-like weather right now. Natural gas uh, use is low. There's still some residual gas still in the system. Uh, we also have a compressed natural gas trailer from Winnipeg currently being hooked up in Dauphin to supply or augment the gas supply. Um, we don't expect or anticipate uh, residential customers to notice any difference again because it, nobody's furnaces are running. Um, so we, ex- with a favorable weather, we expect uh, repairs uh, to begin uh, later this morning, uh, midday, uh, and hopefully be completed within the next 48 hours. But uh, given a different, if it were a different time of the year, I mean, this could have been significant, but as you said, no impact on residential customers at this point. But I guess a different time of the year, colder weather, who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. We've had an experience, I guess, in Tyndall uh, a couple of years ago where right. a stolen truck smashed into a, a gas control station um, and, uh, you know, Tyndall went off. Um, but at that time of year, it was milder temperatures, and we were able to get repairs done fairly quickly. So there was not a lot of uh, uh, customers didn't uh, experience uh, it, uh, a lot of hardship. Again, and, and- it's, uh, we're, we're uh, uh, the, the weather gods are shining on us right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. One a quick final question then. This pipeline, I mean, obviously this is a significant supplier of natural gas. Is this the main supplier of natural gas to the province? Like, fill us no, in on the infrastructure a little bit. It's not the main supply to the province. It's just a, a, a supply to that part of the province, that part right. of the Parkland region that, that uh, from out of Saskatchewan and the main line and uh, tap on uh, Trans-Canada. Um, so, the, again, it's uh, uh, we don't ex- anticipate uh, mm-hmm. residents or customers where it will uh, notice anything. Sure. Hey, Bruce, thanks for this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Hal. All right. Bruce Owen, uh, spokesperson for Manitoba Hydro, a damaged natural gas pipeline in Westman. Repairs will get going on that today. Should not, at this point, impact residential customers at all and they hope to have it repaired uh in a couple of days uh within a couple of days and again it was a farmer doing some work that punctured a hole uh in that pipeline janet music joins us now research program coordinator at the agri-food analytics lab at dalhousie university janet good morning good morning Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. We've been talking about higher turkey prices. One of our 
Uh, local grocery store companies, Food Fair here in Winnipeg says that uh, from a year ago, as we headed into Thanksgiving, turkey prices up about a buck a pound. I'm hearing that bacon prices are at a 40-year high when you factor in the cost of living over the years. Uh, first of all, uh, weigh in on turkey prices and then bacon prices for us. Absolutely. So not just turkey and bacon, but meat meat prices across the board are way up this year. Um, Some cuts of meat are up 30%. Overall, uh, food price inflation is about 5% this year. So it is high, especially as we go into the Thanksgiving season, which is really a food season for a lot of people. Mm Mm-hmm. Help me out with bacon especially because uh, what what is the percentage on bacon? I'm just curious. About 14%. So year over year, we should expect about 1% to 2% inflation overall. This year is especially high, though. Um, there are a number of challenges. Uh, for bacon, I think what's happening here is that we have some, you know, we have weather shocks. We have some... You know, drought seasons, farmers have to reduce their herds. We have COVID, of course, which is disrupting shipping. But there's also um, some labor disputes taking place in some uh, in Quebec and some hog plants. And that's really disrupting the distribution and the amount of bacon that's that's out there in the in the retail environment. I don't want to call it a perfect storm because the result isn't one that we like, but it is kind of, let's call it an imperfect storm, right? There's so many factors and it seems like they're all causing prices to be higher. That's right. Um, it, it, you know, other people have called it a perfect storm. I think when you have more than one one issue happening here, it will uh, it will have exponential uh, price rising. And so the weather, you know, the prairies have experienced drought-like conditions this year that were pretty extreme. Wildfires happening in California and in BC, that's disrupting where we get produce. And not just for retail, but feed for those, for those animals that we eventually, you know, have on our dinner plate. So it is kind of a one-two punch when you think about it that way. Mm-hmm, for sure. And um, what about produce, uh, fruit and vegetables? Because we have been told before uh, by the food professor there at Dalhousie U that that is one uh, part of the grocery cart that is not increasing in price as much as the rest. That's right. So, you know, our study looked at the last six months, and I think there's a seasonal factor that's taking place with fruit and veg. So we're really coming off kind of the, the best season for for those kinds of harvests. Now, as we go into winter months and we have to ship those products from places like California or South America, will COVID, you know, the COVID restrictions on shipping and, and, and different at borders, different restrictions at borders and bottlenecking, will that impact produce? Possibly. Hmm. And do we think, uh, and this uh, is going to continue, eh? these price increases will continue at more than what would be a normal rate? We, we don't see any slowing down at all with food prices? Well, we certainly don't see any slowing down with the adverse weather. Um, so, you know, we have to hope that that kind of settles down a little bit when it comes to planting and harvesting food. 
But, you know, I have hope that the COVID pandemic is going to, to you know, slow down as well. And so that those things that we ship in, commodities, but also packaging for food that ends up on the shelves, um, they'll be able to flow more freely. And so then that should reduce some of the pressure on prices we're seeing at retail. Mm-hmm. Janet, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Janet Music, Research Program Coordinator, Agri-Food Analytics Lab, Dalhousie U. And then, of course, there's shrinkflation, right, which we've talked about that before, where the price stays the same or goes up for a smaller package. So, you know, they're they're getting it every which way. Vic says in a quick text message here as we uh, get ready for a break here, Hal, we are not buying turkey this year. We don't put tradition above affordability. Ham and bacon never on our menu anyway. I like that line. We don't put tradition above affordability. Yeah, it's what you can afford, right? Welcome to the Conservative Party. It's like being the turkey at the Thanksgiving dinner. Somebody's always nibbling at you and cutting a bit off of you and looking for the stuffing because it's so tasty. (laughs) I love that clip from the Tory strategist there commenting on the leadership of Aaron O'Toole. Let's talk about this and other politics with Kelly Saunders, political scientist at Brandon University. Uh, Kelly, good morning. Hi, Hal. If you were Aaron O'Toole, would you be worried? Oh, I love that clip, too. That is so funny, and that really typifies the Conservative Party. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how apt that is. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I was Aaron O'Toole, I mean, there's always a concern, right? I mean, for every leader that fails to deliver uh, what was expected of him or her uh, following an election. But, uh, you know, given sort of the, the, you know, what's been coming out of the caucus meeting that the Tories just had, it sounds like I think he's going to be okay, you know, uh, over the long term. Is it just the Tories that behave like that? I mean, you know, Jagmeet Singh, they're they're sticking with him over at the NDP. And, I mean, you know, he's gone through a couple of elections where he's been, you know, okay. Look at Justin Trudeau. I mean, another minority, and he stays on. What is it about the Conservatives? Why can't they find somebody they like and even stick with that person and, and give them a chance to grow? Yeah, well, you know, another saying uh, within the Conservative Party, uh, dating back many years now, is this uh, is the saying that uh, Conservatives like to eat their own. And it's kind of a, a bit of a morbid kind of saying, but I think it's quite apt. Uh, conservatives are, are particularly prone uh, to dump their leaders, to challenge their leaders, to really expect their leaders to be miracle workers, I think, above and beyond what we normally expect of party leaders. So, yeah, Conservatives seem to be particularly bad at doing that. I got to ask you about the latest apology from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau after his trip on Truth and Reconciliation Day. I, I joked after reading a text message in the show earlier, somebody was talking about our Prime Minister. Uh, you should have paid attention to Kenny Lawler's apology over at uh, in Bomberland yesterday. And I said, well, you'd think he'd be better by now. He's had to apologize so many times. Um, this guy just has nine lives. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? He's a bit of a Teflon master in terms of how he's able to deflect uh, a lot of uh, pretty serious missteps, whether it's yeah. ethics commissioners finding him guilty of, of uh, committing ethics breaches or exactly apologies over blackface and brownface and Jody Wilson-Raybould and, and, uh, and now this latest. Uh, it, it seems to be pretty amazing at how he's able to, to manage to get through, squeak by with all of these missteps that he's had over the years. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, MLAs get back at it over on Broadway. They aren't even going to be at it a week, six-day uh, sitting, and obviously a handful of bills, including uh, Bill 64, will be killed. Those will end, come to an end. But there are some others uh, that are going to be uh, passed. I know uh, more supports for people with disabilities. The spring budget needs to be dealt with. This is uh, interim Premier Kelvin Gertzen's uh, opportunity in in the big chair over there. Any any thoughts uh, about this session? And then I guess they'll get going at it again uh, for real with a new premier and a new conservative leader in the middle of next month, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, this is going to be quite a raucous uh, but brief uh, little session, as you just pointed out. Only a few days this week, next week. Uh, but the stakes are high, right? I mean, the stakes are high for, for the Conservatives. They want to show that they still have a steady hand on the till, despite all the all the things that are going on within the party. You know, number one being a leadership race happening. Uh, but there's a lot of big decisions that have to happen. As you said, a budget has to be passed um, and, a, and, and a, an implementation pill right now and then of course moving forward uh, work on a throne speech a new leader has to be installed and, and if that's going to be a leader if it's Shelley Glover she's got to win a seat um, pr- probably maybe in Fort White but she's got to run in a by-election and and as all of this is happening as we're you know in the middle of a fourth wave and still concerns over you know uh, vaccine hesitancy in the province and and two sitting MLAs uh, on the government side that uh, appear to be unvaccinated so there's a lot of uh, attention and issues that are going to be uh, focused on. And uh, and the opposition is going to be smelling that in the water, smelling some blood in the water. So I think that they're really going to be trying to hit the Tories at, at what they perceive to be some of their weak spots. All right, Kelly, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Take care. Dr. Kelly Saunders is a political scientist at Brandon University. 